You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into BGN Radio number 24. This is brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist, riding solo for a good portion of this show. Benjamin Solak is traveling, and Brandon Lee Gouton, may he forever reign, was at the stadium for the game, but he's going to be joining us here very shortly on a phone call to give his side of things regarding this 25-22 win for the Eagles over the New York football giants. Before we get to that chat, and before we get into the details of this game, I want to talk about something that stirred up a discussion before the game and that concerns the status of our franchise quarterback. And before the game, it was reported that Carson Wentz is still not 100% back from his recovery. Ian Rappaport explained on NFL Network. Let's go to that clip. Let's talk about uh, another player who is doing well enough, Carson Wentz. Of course, you showed him warming up there. And what Wentz has done, Rich, coming back from a torn ACL, torn LCL, has been impressive, but it does take a full year at the least to come fully back. And I actually talked to a source this week with direct knowledge of his rehab. And he explained to me why Wentz is not fully the quarterback that we will see going forward. And the main reason is he is not planting hard on his left foot. He's taking what this person described as baby steps. He appears tentative with this left, uh, with this left foot as he either steps into his throws and as he scrambles. That's something as he gets stronger neuromuscularly is going to improve, but it is not there yet. And it also has to do with confidence. That is why maybe we haven't quite seen the Carson Wentz that we did last year, Rich. Uh, And by the way, it's going to be another year, probably beginning of next season, before Wentz can shed the brace. So this is as mental as it is physical with Wentz, but it's notable that Dr. David J. Chow at Pro Football Doc, who has intimate knowledge of these types of surgeries and recoveries, chimed in on Twitter saying, quote, truth, no matter how great Carson Wentz is and no matter how hard he works, can't speed up biology of healing. Multi-ligament knee injuries take longer than isolated ACL, unquote. This is something that Benjamin Solak saw in the offseason while watching Wentz throw, and we talked about it here on the Kiss and Solak show at the time that he saw it, but Ben tweeted this out. So, quote, please take this with a grain of salt. I have zero access to Carson except for five to ten minutes of practice. Today, there was a false step on his left foot when he transferred his weight to throw. It definitely was not on his 2017 tape. Didn't notice it during camp 
either, unquote. So none of this comes as a surprise to us. I think we all just brushed off this factor when talking about his play this year because beyond the first game back against the Indianapolis Colts where he showed some obvious rust, which was mostly mental, there was the interception where he bird-dogged to Ertz and got picked off. But after that and before the Saints game, despite some hiccups, he was playing like a Tier 2 quarterback. And the fact that he was able to do that at this stage in his recovery is incredible. No doubt about that. And it could explain some of his struggles right now. Granted, some of those struggles have been mental. I highlighted those on a piece for BleedingGreenNation.com. So it's not forgiving all of those mistakes. But it's important for us to take a step back for a moment and recognize that Carson Wentz tore multiple ligaments in his knee in December, less than a year ago. And one thing that I want to do this week is go back and look at quarterbacks that this happened to and see their year, their next year, compared to some other years surrounding it, and what their recovery timetable looked like. Because remember that this is a quarterback that before the Saints game, which gave everybody amnesia, Wentz was part of a group that consisted of Matt Ryan and Drew Brees as quarterbacks on pace for over 70% completion percentage, over 7.5 yards per attempt, and over a 100 quarterback rating. That's only been done by a quarterback that has thrown over... 300 times in a season five times three times by the ageless Drew Brees once by Joe Montana and once by Steve Young in two of their best seasons so if you're worried about Wentz after the Saints game I get it he played his worst game as a pro possibly his worst game as a football player that's not lost on me but I would preach patience while he returns to form. But regardless, here we are, and there was a lot of pressure on Wentz to perform. And against the Giants, he posted a stat line of 20 for 28, 236, one touchdown, and zero interceptions. Solid outing after a slow start to this game. And let's talk about how this game started. For the Giants, they started out on fire. They went up 19-3 to by the second quarter. And what we saw from that was a defense for the Eagles that was just wholly unprepared. And of course, injuries play a part with that. But even then, the ingrained starters like Nigel Bradham were playing poor. And now he's also got a handle getting guys like Nathan Gary lined up correctly and with the absence of Jordan Hicks. But it hasn't just been this week for Bradham. And it's not all on him either. I mean, for instance, if you motion away from Chandon Sullivan, there's a very good chance he's going to have zero idea what the adjustment is. And you have access to all that outside space that he just vacated. Also, if you scheme up to run to his side and you get one-on-ones with Chandon, chances are he's going to make a a terrible tackle attempt and whiff and have a bad angle. And that happened a lot in the first half and also if you get Odell versus Bosby from a number split with no bracket or double yeah you're going to get burnt and the Eagles did and hey they tightened up in the red zone at times in that first half but that's because they're actually forced to collision routes and reroute and and play tight but there was just a lack of execution all around and you saw that perfectly on the 51 yard touchdown run from Barkley and they highlighted it on the broadcast you got Brandon Graham and I believe it was Cravon LeBlanc in the same gap in that play and then you have four or five guys surrounding Barkley down the field and nobody can make a tackle but what this first half amounted to was you get towards the the two minute warning and I felt like that drive that the score before the half that it was the best display of what this offense can be when you get creative with your screens and call them on anything but third down Uh, the play they ran before that was a double chair route which is a double out and up Uh, they get the pass interference call on Alshon Jeffrey sort of threatening vertically That pans out, Uh, but the screen that I'm talking about 
was where they get Tate in ghost motion behind the shotgun alignment and give a swing screen look. And then you have a flare by the running back to the other side and you throw a screen to Ertz inside of that. And you get a chunk gain there, right? So and they follow up with a 15-yard strike to Ertz downfield for a touchdown. And then you get the conversion on a speed option pitch to Corey Clement. That drive right there was some of the best play calling I've seen for the Eagles in a while. And it was somewhat encouraging, but it's also maddening because it takes you until late into the first half, right around the two-minute warning, to really start unleashing this offense. I mean, before that, you saw a bunch of third-down screens, unimaginative touches for Tate, poor design, poor execution, and a lack of balls in key situations, just not willing to throw the ball downfield when you really needed to make a play and kind of neutering the offense. And either way... Look, they enter the half down 19-11, which honestly was a blessing because that entire half was not a 19-11 to half. And part of that has to do with a YOLO ball from Eli Manning that took three points off the board for the Giants, or at least a chance at three points. And you're looking at the two offenses next to each other, 346 total yards for the Giants offense, 159 for the Eagles. That's almost a 200-yard difference, and that half was dominated by the Giants, and the Eagles were very, very lucky to be within one score by the end of that half. Now, out of the half, some back and forth and a field goal drive for the Eagles uh, from trips on third down inside the red zone. The Eagles run double China seven. We talk about it here on this show a lot. It's two outside in routes, and you get the corner route from the most inside guy. In this case, it's Golden Tate. The Giants just had the right call on. Not too much to complain about there, to be honest. And it's the play before that that, that kills me. It was the false start by, I believe it was Brandon Brooks on third and one, where the Eagles look to have a sneak on, which is undefeated, by the way, uh, except for when you can't actually run the play. So they settle for a field goal. It turns into 19-14, and then the game just grinded to a screeching halt. Going back to the end of the first half, it went interception, punt, punt, field goal, punt, punt, punt. And then finally, finally in the fourth quarter, Josh Adams, so I thought had an excellent game, breaks through, scores himself a touchdown, gets the two-point conversion as well. Look, I haven't been the biggest fan of Adams, but this was a game I really want to go back and take a close look at because it was his best by far from a patience, vision, a finishing perspective. He got the hot hand and as I've said with this backfield, it doesn't matter who gets the reps for me as long as you stick with the hot hand. And right now, Adams is playing like their best running back. It just is. So the Eagles did stick with him for the most part. And they also mixed in some Corey Clement, who I felt had his best game this season. And suddenly now with those two playing well, you have a backfield giving you something, anything to alleviate some pressure off of this offense. And you get a 22-19 lead with 10 minutes left. And now there is where you got to finish, which has been a problem all year, whether it be offensively or defensively for this team. So do they finish? Well, after getting tied up 22 to 22, they do finish in part because of an adjustment made by Jim Schwartz that simplified the calls for a banged up secondary. Uh, communication was a massive issue for this unit in the first half. Uh, and by making things easier for all the replacements that allowed them to just play and force Eli to beat them, which he could not. The other part of it is that Giants head coach Pat Shermer moved away from Barkley. After the game, he cited that this was due to wanting to spell Barkley a bit with Wayne Gallman, and also because the offense was getting quote-unquote off schedule. And look, I wrote about this for Bleeding Green Nation, saying that the Giants need to be more creative, getting Barkley involved in the passing game, and even giving some suggestions on how to do that. And I guess luckily for us, 
Shermer didn't take that advice and continues to show no understanding of how to utilize Barkley as a receiver. Now, the last part of this formula, how the Eagles finish, is the 10-play, 50-yard, five-and-a-half-minute drive by the Eagles orchestrated by Carson Wentz, who accounted for 43 of those 50 yards, including a massive conversion on fourth and one from the Giants' 42 on a staple of the Eagles' offense, the mesh-sit wheel where you have two intersecting shallow drags and you have a guy, in this case it was Nelson Aguilar, you have him run to the middle of that and sit it down further upfield. So you have that crossing action, then you sit down in the middle of it, and then you also have a wheel route from the backfield. Wentz found a wide open Nelson Aguilar for the conversion. So they come through in a clutch situation. Jake Elliott holds up his end of the bargain by burying a 43-yard field goal for their game-winning score. And boom, the Eagles are 5-6 and six now. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't what you really needed to see overall against a bad Giants team. But a win is a win. It keeps the Eagles' hopes alive, and you really can't be too angry about that. And I spoke with Brandon Lee Gowton after the game to get his thoughts on it. And let me kick it over to that conversation right now so you can get what he saw from the Eagles in this performance over the Giants. BLG, welcome into BGN Radio number 24. I've been very lonely talking to myself for the past 10 minutes or so. How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right, Mike. Uh, you know, it was not the prettiest of wins, certainly for the Eagles today, but overall it was a a good enough effort, obviously, to get the win, and the season is still alive as it is. Yeah, and with this win as ugly as it was, it really puts the Eagles in the mix for the division somehow, some way. And you wrote about it for BleedingGreenNation.com. I mean, after having started four and six, this win puts them at five and six, and we keep asking if games are must win. And we've lost some of those games, but here we are with a clear path to the NFC East title if they can right the ship. Am I right? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, so the Cowboys win on Thursday, or sorry, if they lose on Thursday against the Saints, they will be 6-6. Six and six. Uh, And then obviously the Eagles in Washington will play on Monday, uh, Washington being 6-5, and five, Eagles being 5-6. and six. So the Eagles win that game, which is you know seems pretty possible given that Washington is starting Colt McCoy. And uh, they have a number of issues with injuries and everything, too. Uh, they're definitely a vulnerable team. So uh, they can somehow win that. I mean, and then, again, if the Cowboys lose to the Saints, uh, then you have Eagles and Dallas both being 6-6 six and six heading into that Week 14 matchup in Dallas. And the winner of the, that game at that point is first in the division, which is crazy. And uh, with three games to go, too, at that point, assuming the Eagles do win, which, look, Getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, they, you know, they beat the Giants. The Giants are terrible, so so that yeah. helps, and that doesn't guarantee they'll beat uh, Washington or Dallas. But uh, to be in that spot, I mean, the Eagles could even go realistically like one and two in their final three games, and the Cowboys could go two and one, and uh, the Eagles would still have the tiebreaker there based on division record, as long as the Eagles beat Washington, if that's their one win. So uh, there's definitely a real path to them making the playoffs still, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that is wild. And this game itself, we'll, we'll talk about this win over the Giants 25 to 22. This was a tale of, of two halves because it didn't feel like the Eagles should have been in this thing at the end of the first half. I, I already spoke about how 19 to 11 
at the end of the first half was a real gift Mm. because it didn't feel like it was that type of game early on. And the second half was completely different. You know, I've already I talked about Shermer not getting Saquon Barkley involved, only giving him four touches in the second half. And he was saying it was to spell him with Gallman and they were off schedule and all that. I just think it's a lack of creativity getting him involved, but and poor coaching. But like, oh, what was the feel after the first half for you? Because it, I didn't feel real great about this team after the first half or our chances to win at all. Yeah, I mean it was rough. I mean you, they get down nineteen to three, right? Uh, and then people are like, okay, that's the season right there. <laughs> and it certainly felt like, it, especially you know, the Eagles had settled for that field goal, uh, and then the Eagles or so the Giants come right back down and they have that that touchdown drive with Barkley uh, capping it off with the touchdown run there. So it just felt like you know, man, uh, kind of a culmination of errors that have been haunting this team recently, you know, Doug Peterson being a little too conservative, uh, the offense failing to execute, you know, they, they had that false start on the third and one. Yeah. So there are some, definitely some issues there and the things that are really snowballed, but I think you have to give this team credit and the coaching staff credit too, for ultimately, you know, not losing this team because that was a big issue coming into this week. You have Malcolm Jenkins talking about, you know, he doesn't like the guy's demeanor. And last week you have Jason Kelsey talking about accountability, but for this team, to be down 19 to three and then fight their way back into the game. I mean, look, if it was the other way around and they, it was 19 to three and they kind of laid down and the Giants just started to roll over them, we'd certainly be criticizing the coaching staff right now for not motivating everyone properly. So the fact that they did show that fight at the end, I think, you know, the, the coaching staff and the players, of course, themselves, uh, especially a guy like Malcolm Jenkins, who was criticizing the team and then he comes up with this big, second uh big interception right before the second uh half there i mean that's that's huge and i think uh that was really a big turning point for the game yeah and that was a turning point and right before that the offense it felt like they started to open up at the end of the first half after some frustrating play calling and you know conservative play calling before that with the screens and everything and I, i felt the play calling was better in the second half and even jim schwartz made some adjustments malcolm jenkins said that they simplified the defense and made it easier for those replacement guys to just go out there and do their job so uh, along with also not getting the team to to you know give up to to have them invested in the second half after a poor performance in the first half how did you feel Mike Rowe and then even Doug Peterson because he's calling the plays acquitted themselves in the second half and at the end of that first half did you feel kind of the same way that I'm feeling about it that they started to open things up and it was successful and maybe there's some hope that this offense can get back on track for the rest of the year. Yeah, it was certainly nice to see the run game finally get going for once, for yeah. for what, like the first time all year, it feels like. I mean, for, uh, you know, to be able to rely on Josh Adams, and he finished the game with 22 carries, which, you know, feels very unusual for an Eagles team that loves to share the ball. Uh, I don't even know if JGI got any carries last, uh, 22 carries at any point last year. Like, you know, they were they were feeding him the ball in a way that Doug Peterson doesn't usually do with his running backs, and it was it was great to see uh, them able to have that efficiency. Also, obviously, Corey Clement coming up the 2017 version of himself, which is nice to see compared yeah. to the 2018 version that hasn't been so good. So um, to get that back on track was definitely encouraging. It helped Carson Wentz out a lot. He didn't have to you know, take the whole team on his back the whole game. It took some pressure off of him, and you saw how that helped at the end of the game. I think he, he completed uh, all four of his, of his pass attempts on the Eagles' final two drives where they scored a touchdown and then had the game-winning field goal by Jake Elliott. 
and all those completions were for 66 yards. So he was very efficient at the end of the game when it counted. He is finally now on the board in games where his team has trailed by eight or more points. Uh, previously, he was Wetley 0-13, and now he's he's 1-13. So, uh, you know, there's a, that's been a big talking point this year, obviously, with uh, Carson not being able to kind of come up in the clutch, if you will. But uh, he did today, so that was big. Yeah, and how did you feel about his performance overall? Because before the game, and I and I talked a little bit uh, a little bit about this already on the show. There were the reports that you know he's not 100 back, and I and I think that's definitely true. Just having suffered that ACL and uh, LCL injury in in December of last year, and today he goes 20 for 28. You know he he gets himself a touchdown, puts together some nice drives. Like you said, you you mentioned the final couple of drives on the last drive, the game winning drive. He accounted for 43 yards of the total 50 yards on the drive. So how would you feel about Carson overall on the day? Yeah, I think the numbers probably look a little bit better than he actually played. I think it's fair to say that. That's not to say he was terrible. I just think, you know, uh, there were some issues in there. There were some some dangerous throws, smugly throws. But, you know, when you consider for the fact that, you know, like you said, he's not 100% uh, and there are issues there still. I mean, overall, you know, he, he stepped up when it counted the most. So that was the big thing from this game. Like they needed him to, to finally deliver in one of those key situations. And he did. So overall, I feel like you have to be encouraged and just, you know, for him to play as poorly as he did last week against the saints where he's thrown three interceptions and basically nothing is going right for him for him to come back and have this kind of game where, you know, he didn't let it snowball on him. That was good to see, you know, going forward, you hope he can kind of build on that and they can go from there. So overall, I think a step in the right direction. So BLG, I know you're busy at the stadium. You're a busy man, and you got a lot of lot to do, a lot to get out. So I'll just ask you for maybe a final thought on this game, an overarching theme, or anything you want to say to kind of wrap up your opinions on on this game and this Eagles team moving forward. Yeah, obviously, you know, there's still a lot of issues with this team. You know, beating a a bad Giants team doesn't really you know change a whole lot in the in the big big picture here. Uh, like I said, there was still a lot of concerns, but, you know, they're still alive. I mean, that's the most important takeaway. Uh, you know, there's still, again, we laid out the scenario, like if you beat Washington, all of a sudden they're 6-6 six and six and they just won two divisional games. And then again, you have the opportunity to be potentially first in the division uh, in week 14. So uh, still a lot of season left for them. Uh, it was a step in the right direction today. There's still a lot of issues. I still don't have a ton of faith in this team, if we're being honest, because, you know, uh, we've seen too many struggles to where you can't just have 100% confidence all of a sudden just because they beat a Giants team. That very much stinks. Uh, but again, you know, you're, you're looking for the positives, uh, and they, they were there today, some of them. So it's just, it's just a matter of seeing if they can build on that. Uh, there could be some good potential news on the injury front, you know, because you might be getting some guys like Wizzle Douglas or Jalen Mills or Sidney Jones or even Darren Sproles, maybe activate Mike Wallace from IR down the stretch. So, still those things uh, to, to hold on to. But overall, you know, they, um, they got it done. So ugly, but you'll take it. BLG, thank you uh, for doing this, man. You saved me from having to talk to myself. You saved the listeners to having to hear me talk to myself <laughs> for, for the entire show. Uh, so I really appreciate it, man. I hope you have a good one. And uh, it's, it's you know, no matter how the wind comes, it's always, it's always a good feeling. It's a better feeling than, than losing for sure. For sure. 
So that was me and BLG conversating about this game. And look, being five and six ain't the greatest thing, but it's an easier week after a win. I'm going to save uh, three words from at BGN underscore radio. I'm going to save that for when Benjamin Solak returns. And that's going to be for the all 22 film review that we're going to be putting out in the next couple of days once that film drops and we have a chance to go over it. I know Ben likes to do those. He enjoys those. So I'm going to save that for then. So if you're waiting for three words, that'll be on the next Kisten Solak show. But look, 25-22, the Philadelphia Eagles escape with a win in a close one against a division rival. Next up, another division rival, a very important game, Monday Night Football against the Washington Redskins. That game will have big time implications for how the division goes as the Eagles try to catch up with the Redskins and the Cowboys. And, you know, a lot of these divisional games will definitely decide what happens, who goes to the playoffs. So we got a lot to look forward to. We got a lot to cover. We got a lot to analyze and we're still in this thing. So keep it here on BGN Radio. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Thank you so much for getting us. I think we're at close to 555 star reviews right now. So the support from you guys has been amazing. Me and Ben are going to be reading the written reviews from Apple Podcasts and reading some of the ones that the recent ones that we like the most and the funny ones and all that. So if you haven't gotten in a written review yet, show your love for BGN. And in the meantime, we all we got, we all we need. Fly Eagles Fly. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot, because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.